Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and in today's episode, we're talking with Robert Michon. And since 1995, Robert has built a number of successful real-world businesses from scratch in a variety of highly competitive industries. And most recently, he's worked with Ryan Levesque, who you may know from the Ask Method, and he was the elite mastermind director in coaching and advising business owners uh, for Ryan and with Ryan. And he worked with businesses really from uh, serial startup entrepreneurs all the way up to the $100 million level in revenue on issues ranging from marketing and positioning and copywriting to hiring and firing and, and even motivating, which um, I, I can't wait to talk about. Uh, he's currently working with businesses with teams of about five to 50 people to improve the company productivity, to clean up those little people problems that you have, and to increase the commitment and cooperation and cohesiveness of the team so that you as the entrepreneur can have the kind of company that you really enjoy owning. And, uh, and, and I can imagine there's probably no end in the number of clients lining up for that, Robert. So welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Thank you, Steve. Uh, real pleasure to be here. Real pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. We've known each other for a few years, and uh, I, I'm just always amazed at the, uh, the insights that you're able to bring to things. So, you know, I'd like to find out a little bit about how you got started in business. And, and you mentioned real world businesses, which the I, I appreciate that. I come from that background, too. There's a lot of talk about how to create a a business on the internet, you know, where you can work from a beach and all of that. But, you know, the vast majority of business people are working in a real world business. And I'd love to hear how you got started. Uh, well, yeah, kind of interesting. Um, I had intentions of going to medical school uh, and I got a degree in medical technology. Uh, but while I was in college, I thought, well, all right, I'm thinking about spending the next 12 years of my life in medicine and actually in school. And I thought I might want to know what that environment is like before I make that commitment. So uh, I got a job inside a hospital, got to see how it's run, got to see how they make decisions, got to see how doctors live their lives. And I asked about 100 physicians, I said, knowing what you know now, would you do it over again? 97% said no. Wow. Um, and if it wasn't, if it wasn't an, if it wasn't a rousing, uh, enthusiastic yes, I just counted it as a no. So uh, that's kind of how I kept score. So I said, well, that's not what I want to do. So I quickly got my degree as quickly as I could, got out, and then I got my first um, performance appraisal, and I got a raise. And when I looked at the amount of money I got for my raise. Uh, I realized that from that point forward, if I stayed there, I would continue to lose ground to inflation for the rest of my life. And I thought, that's not how I want to live. And in the, in the industry I was, there's was a, a tremendous bottleneck. There were very few people at the top, and there was really no ascension model. So there wasn't any way to progress. So uh, I said, all right, how can I get out of here, and how can I get out of here quickly? I found some Brian Tracy material. He said the, hard, or the hardest, they call it the hardest work, but the highest paying work is sales. So I said, all right, well, then that's what I'll do. So I got into real estate sales, and I started building businesses from that point forward. Uh, in real estate and a number of various industries uh, from that point forward. So, but uh, I, I couldn't stand working in a traditional company the way that they're run. Didn't like the way they treated employees. Didn't like how they managed the team. Didn't like how they rewarded folks. So I said, I got to get out of here and kind of create my own rules. That's, uh, that's how I kind of got it. That's how I got into the business side of things. I love that. The, the, I always feel like the best way to win the game is to create the rules of the game for yourself. And it sounds like you've been doing that. And, 
you know, as I'm listening to you describe all of these changes that you've gone through, you know, you started off with one plan and that turned out not to be the right plan. So you had to go a different direction. And, and, you know, in all of my work with entrepreneurs and business owners, that's kind of the, the storyline everybody goes through. So when you hit those roadblocks, what is it that along the way helped you stay unstoppable, helped you keep going and persevere, knowing that there was you know, something out there for you, maybe not knowing what it was, but what are some of the, the mindsets, some of the thinking, some of the, the inspiration that kept you going? Well, you know, it's funny. I do a lot of this work in the coaching and advising I've done with uh, entrepreneurs over the year. And I can tell you this, uh, I'm better at doing it with and for other people than I am for myself. Uh, I've got a little bit of that cobbler's shoe. So when, when something hits me, it takes me a, a little bit longer to recover than I'd, I'd like to admit. But I've learned over the years uh, facing some major setbacks. I, for example, I had one business completely wiped out uh, with the stroke of a pen at the state legislative level. So, I mean, we've all, if we've been in business for more than a minute, we've had just major strokes and, of bad luck. Uh, and misfortune, and it's important to quickly recover from those things. Um, but over the years, I figured out what I was doing wrong myself personally, that I was doing better and more effectively with other people. So as far as recovering from a major setback, uh, a couple of the things that I found that are extremely useful are, are the following. One, here's what I see. Um, a lot of people, when they run into these things, they go into hiding. They just disappear. Uh, where's Joe? Like, what happened to him? And nobody seems to know. And I haven't talked to him in a while. Nobody's seen him for a while. More often than not, that's because he's facing some major challenges. And you'll hear the story once they come out the other side. But the, the, the huge opportunity that I think is missed there and, and the pain is extended because people go into hiding. They rely strictly on themselves to dig their way out of it. And they don't reach out to others. And if they had, had they have worked with the right people and shared their problems and their points of view and what they were thinking and what their possibilities were and taking inventory of things, they would have gotten out a lot faster and they would have ended up a lot better off in the end. So um, what I see uh, is one, you should really reach out to somebody to get some help. And sometimes people will think, well, maybe I'll work, reach out to a friend. I don't know that I don't think that's really the best option because you know, there's a bit of pride and there's a bit of face saving. And even though we've all faced these kind of problems as entrepreneurs, there's a lot of pride that has to be swallowed to reach out to somebody that you know, trust, like, and respect and say, man, I'm just, I've just gotten hammered. And it's just not the kind of uh, role we're used to playing with our peers. So I would say reach out to someone who's on par with the kind of people you know, like, and trust and are kind of in your inner circle and has those qualities, but can work from a more disinterested kind of third party perspective. So you don't really have to strip down in, in front of somebody that you know, you can still kind of go into hiding, but you're still working on the problem actively. Um, now tactically, what I found works really well is um, what I often see people doing is they say, I know I'm in a funk, I gotta get out of it. And they kind of look externally or outside themselves for, well, I need to change my morning routine or maybe give me an inspiring book to read or something like that. And that stuff, you know, it goes, only so far, because I see it as kind of a band-aid solution to the problem. You're not really fixing the core problem. You're really just like reaching for something that might cover it over and make you feel a little bit better, but the underlying problem's never addressed. So one of the things I do when I'm working with entrepreneurs who have kind of hit a, hit the skids or, or you know lost their mojo or whatever, is what I have them do is I have them do what I call a thought log. Now, you've probably heard in productivity circles of the time log where you know every hour you write down what did I do, and then you do different exercises with that sort of stuff. 
that's great from a productivity standpoint. I want to know what you're thinking on an hour to hour level. So every hour on the hour, I have them write down, how are you feeling? And I don't put whatever label you don't overthink it. Just how are you feeling right now? And write it down. And then I also have them write, write down what's your dominant thought right now. What's the first thought that's coming in your mind right now? And I don't need you to dwell on it. I just need you to catalog it. And once we've cataloged these things and documented them, then we really know what's really going on inside of their head instead of how they're taking it and then translating it into something that's socially acceptable to say. Then we can get to the heart of those things and start picking those thoughts and feelings apart. So we make them, I, I mean, I grew up uh, K through 12 Catholic school. So I got a PhD in hypocrisy. Uh, do what I say, but not, you know, not as I do. And so I, I was easily able to pick out incongruity between what somebody was saying and how they were behaving. And I use the same kind of tactics, but I use them in a positive way now in working with clients. So then when we go through the thought log, I just pick those, part, those thoughts apart. And we do it collaboratively in a way where we kind of dis, dis, deconstruct it and dismantle it in their own mind. And then pretty soon that thing that had so much power over how they felt how they responded, the actions that they took it has no power over them at all. And then they can start thinking productively. But if we just want to paper that over with a nice happy book or something from an inspirational speaker, it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter like something like that does. Yeah, you're not really doing the real work. What I, what I love about this approach is that you're taking these things that, you know, we have pinging around in our head that a lot of times when it's contained in there, it's like an echo chamber. And it bounces around and bounces around. And we can make things a whole lot worse than they really are. So by pulling it out and putting it on paper, you kind of objectify it a little bit. You can now step back and, and observe your thoughts, um, you know, as an observer rather than being the one experiencing them in your head. Um, I think that's brilliant. Um, and how does it, when you take somebody through this process, how does it, impact the, the their outlook and, and kind of their confidence and how they're approaching the situation that they're faced with? It's, it's super fast. Uh, once we have the data collected uh, and once we look at, all right, what did you have? What did you write down? You know, and then we can start looking for patterns. Are there, you know, what were you doing at that time? Are there certain things that are linked to feeling worse or better? And then we kind of, then we kind of look for opportunities. Okay. How do we remove the self-doubt and self-criticism and just smash that to, to bits. And then also how do we increase the things that are making us feel better? Because um, listen, as entrepreneurs, we spend a, we have a high tolerance for pain and most of us spend all of our time kind of pushing things down and tolerating and ignoring and getting through and grinding past it and things of that nature. And that gets us from A to B in the short term, but that pay, we pay a heavy toll for that type of behavior. And especially when things get tough and we start increasing our threshold for pain, it, it manifests in a whole lot of really lousy behaviors, whether it's how we treat our staff, dealing with customers, you know, how, how vigorously we're pursuing new business, how creatively we're thinking, how we treat our spouse and our kids, that sort of thing. So those, once we increase that threshold, it just casts a pall over our entire lives and makes everything worse. So once we've taken inventory of what's really going on internally, we get right to it. It's not, it doesn't take long at all, man. I, I've worked with lots of people who've been struggling with things for, for months, in some cases, issues that were as long as years. And we've been able to make real progress in, you know, two weeks time, 30 days time. But the longest I've ever had to work with somebody on this sort of thing was about 90 days. But that's really long for this sort of, this sort of work. Yeah, I, I can imagine because once you've got it out and you can start dealing with it, uh, you know, it's, I would imagine it's fairly quick to make the change. The, you know, the, the really interesting thing that 
you just said is this this struggle we all go through, like the pain that we'll put up with to to build a business. Um, it's unlike any other career path, and I, I think you know if you came up through sort of the traditional schooling and and went you know through a, a university, at least here in the U.S you know, you kind of got trained to, to go into a job. And then if you go out and start a business, you want to be an entrepreneur, it's a totally different world. So we don't necessarily have the preparation to, to deal with a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I, I, what I've seen is you can get to a point with just kind of the, hey, suck it up, persevere, keep going, press through, you know, and enduring that pain. And, you can get to a point, but what I've noticed in the the business owners that uh, that have stalled, most of the time it's that they just got to a level where to get beyond that, they really had to get serious about reflection and how they're dealing with some of these issues in in their head. You know, dealing with the mindset to to move on. Have you seen that? I know you've worked with a lot of really big business owners. Yeah, uh, there's a book and. Um, Say Malcolm Goldsmith, or I, what's his name? I, it's not the guy who wrote Blink, uh, but it's it's another guy who's a high level advisor. He wrote this book called "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." Hmm. Picture, it's got an image of a ladder there, and it's really targeted towards CEOs and executives. And it talks about how they have a tendency to tolerate, ignore, or cover over, or almost take pride in some of their negative attributes and excuse themselves for bad behavior because they've had success. And then, uh, but those very problems are gonna, are, are gonna get in the way of them moving forward. I think for a lot of business owners, uh, one, one inflection point I definitely see is you can get to seven figures and you can be pretty darn sloppy about things. You can be disastrously sloppy and still get to seven figures. Uh, but if you're looking to get well beyond that, uh, not only uh, do, the, do the things that got you here, uh, you know, the things, mindsets, talents, skills, attitudes, actions that got you there uh, won't get you further, but they'll actually actively prevent you from moving any further and you'll stay stuck in that zone. So um, yeah, it's the higher you go, the more introspective you have to get and the more thinking that you have to do about how things are working. And you really need to start pulling yourself more and more out of the tactical side of the business. And I think some people are pretty effective at that stuff, but really the, the person that's well suited to start something from scratch and get it to seven is in a lot of ways diametrically opposed from the person who's going to take it forward from that point. And so if you do want to get to that next level, you, you don't necessarily have to change who you are, but you have to look at some of the aspects of your personality and your skill set and talents that you've suppressed up to this point and you haven't been able to enjoy yourself in your work or explore those talents because you've had to put them on the shelf to get done what needs to get done. So I think for a lot of people, it's not that they're not well suited to it or they can't do it. It's that they've spent so much time just suppressing some of those urges and developing some of those talents that they had coming in that they've forgotten that they had them. So that's, I think, one place to look at in terms of what needs to be done differently. But yeah, it's the thinking time that's going to get you past most of the, the impasses that you're facing at that level for sure. That's great. Well, Robert, thank you so much for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Robert's going to share his latest project. And I can guarantee you, you won't want to miss it. Hang on. 
Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Uh, we're back with Robert Michon, and he is uh, going to share with us what he's working on now, what he's most excited about. And, uh, and so, uh, Robert, I know that uh, you're doing some really amazing things with business owners right now. Tell us all about it. Uh, well, I kind of got to this point in working with business owners uh, over the last several years. I've been working just strictly one-on-one -on -one with you know founders, CEOs, things of that nature, and uh, we were getting great results. But at the same time, uh, one of the one of the problems with coaching is that you're only getting a piece of the puzzle. So if I was working directly with you, you know, I get your perspective and your point of view on things. But man, there are a number of other perspectives out there, right? And so. Uh, what I was finding in working with a few entrepreneurs in particular uh, was that I was giving them really good advice as to what to do. And then for some reason, things just weren't happening results wise. And I'm like, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm getting the whole picture here. And they were under a lot of time constraints due to the nature of their work and the, and the, and the point of evolution in their business. So I said, you know what, let's just let's do this. Uh, I wouldn't normally do this, but here's what I want to do. I want to work directly with you know Stacy or whatever uh, on your team. And if you don't mind, let's just take this little project and instead of me working with you, I'm just going to work with them on it and then see if maybe this accelerates things. And pretty soon I started finding like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So what Stacy's seeing and saying and feeling and hearing and doing is not really in alignment with, with, with what the entrepreneur had said. And so I was quickly, again, just like the thought log we talked about earlier, I was able to get to the heart of the matter. I'm really about finding root causes and, and little hinges that swing big doors because usually that's where the real opportunity lies. So by working directly with the staff, I started finding that we could solve problems much more quickly, get it off the, uh, the leader's plate to a large degree so they don't even have to have as much direct involvement in implementation previously. So as I started doing that work, I said, well, let's just start working with the teams as a whole from that point forward. So at this point now, uh, I work on things uh, like, you know, collaboration, um, particularly with, if you have a virtual aspect to your teams. Now there's, there are a lot of companies out there that if they're not strictly virtual, they have virtual team members on there and they might have people scattered all over the planet and that are all working on uh, things together. And there's been some real challenges for a lot of business owners that I'm seeing in terms of uh, hiring and working with millennials. That seems to be a real big problem, uh, especially for Gen, you know, Gen Xers see things quite a bit different than the millennials do and especially people beyond that. Um, and then I'm also finding is, is that creating real collaboration and a real sense of teamwork on a virtual team, a lot of people struggle with that. And I find that there are a lot of simple solutions that you can incorporate to make things work better. Um, we talked about motivation and you wanted, you wanted to discuss that. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, I, there's a lot of talk about how do I motivate my team or how do I keep them motivated or how to get them to, to do what I want to do. And, and the thing that I found is like people are already motivated. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a question of what are they motivated to do? What are they motivated about? And so what I found is that uh, and if anybody's read, you know, Daniel Pink or some of the latest behavioral economics books, um, Dan Ar Ariely, you know, rewards, you know, carrots and sticks 
never work for the long-term behavior change that we're looking for. Because if, if you're going to uh, create incentives or punishments for things uh, to try to motivate behavior, that works great for a, mat in a, ra or a rat in a maze, but it doesn't work for people long-term. So uh, a lot of the work that I do in terms of motivating people is finding out what are they already motivated to do? And then how do we align what they're motivated to do with the work that they're doing? Sometimes that requires a little bit of job, what's called job sculpting by um, uh, guys like Adrian Gostick. Uh, but it, it's usually just subtle tweaks that gets people re-energized and re-motivated. And uh, one of the assessments I've been working with lately is the motivators assessment. And in the previous work that I had done, we would do you know personality-based assessments. So you know, DISC or Myers-Briggs. I mean, there's a number of them out there, and those kind of told me, uh, you know, who am I and how do I see the world? How do I see the world and how does the world see me? And, and that's great, but that's a lot of self-report. And then I worked with Colby and I added that on. And I don't know if your audience is familiar with Colby, but the Colby assessment basically tells me, given an end result, how will I produce that end result? So I give you the task. This tells me how you're going to go about doing it. So it gives me the how. The one thing that was missing was like, all right, well, what, is, what are people getting out of bed in the morning? really wanting to do. And once I found the motivators assessment, I started running those on people and I've, I've run on, on hundreds of people now. And that was kind of the missing link to find out how to energize the who I am and how I do. And the underlying underneath that was the motivation. And once I found what the motivation was, then I could really supercharge those first two assessments and really find out how to dial in the roles and responsibilities for the person who's working there and how to get them to work collaboratively as a team. And what I find with a lot of these teams is Everybody instinctively or, you know, subconsciously knows that, you know, Joe really is not the best choice for this work, but everybody wants to succeed and be a good team player. So they're taking on a lot of stuff that they're ill-suited to do. Mm. So they say yes. And so your employees are saying yes, even when they don't want to or they want to say no. But when you've got a person that's in conflict with that and they're taking on stuff that they're not good at, it's not a good dynamic for getting most out of people. It's really not, especially if that's consistently happening. But what I found is with, with most teams, instead of giving it to Joe, we can give it to Amy and Amy can switch, you know, and then they can trade things. It's just like uh, sports, you know, this guy's not producing for me at shortstop. I need a, I need a power hitter at first base. We'll do a swap here, player to name, be named later. And then this guy suddenly breaks out of his slump with the new team and is like, wait a minute, that's a totally different player because he's in a different environment doing a different thing. Right. Same thing here with business. I found that I can either, we can either sculpt their job description, redeploy them, or we can uh, take tasks and pull them apart a little bit more and take aspects of those tasks and give Joe the stuff that he's really great at on that task and take the stuff that he's not so good at that's usually coupled together and it doesn't need to be and we'll pass it off to Amy and she'll do that aspect. Then they meet in the middle and the thing's so much better than it would have been previously. Well, and, and the business owners no longer pulling their hair out, trying to figure out, I've got these people, they seem like good people, but it's not working. Exactly. I, I mean, I was in a leadership meeting about a year ago with a team I was working with, and uh, there were two employees in particular uh, that, made, that made the agenda, and they're like, well, we're going to get rid of these people. And I had just done the motivators assessments on those people, and I go, wait, 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 wait what's going on with this person in particular? And they said, you know, doesn't want to do this, say no to that, not, not performing in this area. And I said, this guy's gold and your customers love this person. This is someone who's a cultural fit. He's just, he's just maldeployed. So let's look at these things that I've discovered and see how we might shift his role and put him into a place where he's hitting it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And we did those things and he's still with the company today. And like a year and a half ago, they were willing to get rid of him. 
Mm-hmm. And turnover is costly. Turnover, you know, depending on whose numbers you want to talk to, uh, about, it's annual salary. It's fifty thousand dollars. I've heard ten times salary. I guess it depends, but depends on the position, I'm sure. Exactly. But when you're running a, a medium-sized or small business, that's a huge hit, and it's also the time to recover because now you got to suck other resources in to fill that void. Right. And go attract, hire, train, onboard. I mean, it's that's a lot of work. Well, and no guarantee that the person that you bring in is going to be any better fit than what you've got. And, and you know, that's not a reason to hang on to somebody that you know isn't a good fit. But I, I, I like where you're going with this, using some new data, a different way to look at this. How can we match up the people we have if we feel like we've got good people? Right. You know, and, and construct things in a way that they can best execute the mission we're on. Yeah, absolutely. So if they're, if they're trying, you know, if they're, if they're trying, you know, and they're trying to produce good results and nobody shows up, I mean, there's very few people that are showing up on a job and they would just want to suck at what they do. Now you'll see that in like the low level retail market where like, oh, I'm not getting paid enough to, you know, sweep the floor or whatever. That's a totally different uh, ball of wax. And even those problems can be remedied with the stuff I've talked about. But if you've got a person who's willing to work and is a good cultural fit, almost invariably you can, you can redeploy those people or find a way to get the thing to work for them mm-hmm. and then work for you. Because the, the underlying mindset for a lot of business owners, when they're trying to quote unquote motivate their staff, is really the, the thing, if they were honest about it, they're saying, how do I get more out of my staff? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that anything in life works that way. You know, if I'm trying to get more out of investment, I probably got to put it into a different investment. And I can't get anything from an investment if I don't first invest. So really the mindset needs to shift to from how do I get out of my staff from to how do I put into my staff so I can get what I want. And if you start with the what I put in and how I can make that work for them, they'll gladly give you whatever they want because they want to make you happy. That's what they're there for. I mean, it's not, you know, they don't want to say no to you, but they say yes anyway because they don't want to displease you, but they also want to succeed in their role. So if you can help them succeed and excel in their role, you don't have to find out how to motivate them. They'll show up to work motivated already. Yeah, well, and most of the time, at least in my experience, when, when you bring somebody on, they want the role. They want the job. They're excited to come into the company most of the time. And, and you lose that somewhere along the way, or you can anyway, by plugging them into a wrong role or, you know, doing things that, that aren't in alignment with their sort of natural tendencies. And, and I know the pushback from business owners, and you've probably heard this. So how do you deal with this? The pushback from business owners is, yeah, I get all of that. And I'd love to do that 100% of the time. but there are tasks that we've got to do. There's things that have to be done that, that aren't a fit for anybody. So it's, but it's still got to be done, you know, and I can't go around, you know, babysitting people and holding hands and all that. Sometimes they just got to suck it up and do what needs to be done. So how do you address that? In these- yeah. You know, if you've got somebody at 75 to 80%, they're spending their time doing, you know, focusing on their strengths and doing things that they enjoy doing and, and want to do well, then you're, you're going to be fine. Um, you don't have to have 100% satisfaction in that regard. And, and people are more than willing. If you collaborate with them, see, the problem with that is a lot of people just don't feel heard. You know, they hear their owner say that, well, it's just got to be done. And it's like, well, you know, when you were a kid growing up and your parents said, well, too bad, you know, or why do I have to do this? Because that's not a great justification for a ride. So if you kind of help explain 
how those low-level tasks that nobody really needs to do contributes to the overall mission of the thing, then that makes them feel more valuable as a result of doing that. You know, I mean, you'll think about like, uh, uh, you know, a swing man in basketball or something, or they'll bring, they'll bring in a role player on a sports team. All right, that guy's never going to get the glory that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Steph Curry or, you know, a Michael Jordan would, but they're an integral part of that team. And if they don't grab the rebound like a Dennis Rodman used to back with the Bulls in the day, or, or if they don't dish off the assist to the open man and put it where it needs to go so he can make the shot, then the, that shot's never going to get made. So if you put it in terms of this is how these tasks fit into all the things that we're doing and help us make a, a better company, then I think that helps people understand that, hey, yeah, this isn't the most enjoyable thing. I mean, we got to pull the weeds or whatever. But at the same time, if we don't pull the weeds, you know, what kind of environment are we going to have? The other thing I've also found is that, uh, you know, if you help them, you say, we have these things to do, so this is the what we need to do. But if you help them decide as a team how they're going to do those things in a way that best suits them and makes it least painful and yet most effective in achieving the goals, then you're going to get buy-in. So I think in a lot of cases, it's, well, we got to do this stuff and we got to do it this way. And maybe there's a better way to do it, but we're not hearing that because we're not soliciting, we're not soliciting that kind of feedback from our people. Yeah, well, as the business owner, we often want to get into the how. And I think that that's, you know, a drag on growth because really, if you're the entrepreneur, you're out front, you've got only about four roles and the most important one is setting the vision and, and the why and, and the direction. And then it's maintaining relationships, both external and internal, mm -hmm. to fulfill that. Um, and, and there are very few other things that are in, integral to what you're doing. Um, and, and certainly the how of most of the tasks that happen to fulfill that vision aren't that important if you're the leader. But we like to get into them. We like to get caught up in them. And especially, I see this a lot. We work with a lot of professional service firms. And so these guys, um, they're... They've been to school for a long time to learn how to do a particular thing. They probably had to take a test to prove this is how we do it. And they've got some standards to meet around how they do certain activities. And I get that you've got to maintain that. But there are a lot of other parts of the business where it just doesn't matter. You know, as long as you get to the end zone, it doesn't really matter how you get there as long as it's legal and ethical, right? We can pass it. We can run it. I don't care how we get it, but we've got to get it over the goal line. Here's the thing. A couple things you've mentioned. Number one, there's a difference between how and setting objectives and criteria. We have a tendency because our how is so ingrained in us and a part of what we are and how we do it that we feel like um, our objectives and our criteria equal the how and vice versa. Well, the fact of the matter is we can get to these standards 17 different ways. Your how is going to be different than most of your team's how because one, you're wired way differently than your than your team members are. Okay. I mean, let's be honest. Entrepreneurs are just very different than gen pop. Okay. And you don't have a lot of entrepreneurs on your team as, as team members most often because they're not going to stick around. So most of the people that are going to be around with you for the long haul see the world differently than you do. And they do things differently than you do. So listen, if, if I mean, it's, it's like saying I need, we need a home run, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth and we got to have a home run to win this game. And you tell them, well, but you got to hit it to right field. Like, do we care where that ball goes or how it gets there as long as it gets out of the park? Right. So, yeah, I, I've noticed that for a lot of people, it's a matter of articulating. There's a difference between I need you to meet these standards. I need to have it done by this time. And it needs to be done. This needs to be the finished product. And then let it go. 
I don't care how you get it there. You shouldn't care how it gets there. You know, uh, Emit Gerber said uh, most entrepreneur, most business owners are a technician having an entrepreneurial seizure. Right. And what you described is exactly that. that. Your technical expertise and your particular way of doing things are now a harness that keep you from growing as a company and as a leader. And that's one of the things that needs to get dropped. And what you're going to find is if you let people do things their own way, again, you're not going to have to motivate them, right? Because they're resistant. You know, if your folks, I, I mean, just think of it from a parental standpoint. If your folks told you, well, you know, you need to do it this way, that just creates resistance instantaneously. It's instinctual. And especially if I'm wired up in such a way where I would approach things differently than, from you, and you're telling me that I have to produce a great result, but I have to do it, you know, left-handed instead of right-handed, it's crazy. We would never do that in any other venue. So why are we doing it in our business? Yes. We do it all the time, though. And I, and I think that's, you know, we talked in the beginning about breaking through barriers. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers that keeps people who are doing okay, they, you know, they're in the six-figure range, they're making decent money, and they've got a business and it seems to be growing and they've sort of gotten past that infancy stage, but they're not hitting the seven-figure they're, or they're at the low seven-figure and they're not going beyond it. And a lot of times that's the block right there is that they just, they're too focused on, on method instead of vision and they're not getting enough of that stuff off the plate. And um, what I love about what you're doing is you're coming in and, and you're helping the entrepreneur and the, the team really, as I listen to you, you're creating a common language for them to communicate about this stuff where, you know, before it, it was two separate groups and they didn't know how to really communicate with one another. The entrepreneur, the business owner had their picture of what they wanted and they're trying to drive that and arrange people to do it. And the people are sitting there going, you know, this isn't fitting. And so um, I, I love what you're doing. I, I know it's gonna have a, a, a big impact on, on anybody that you work with. So um, I have one final question for you, and it's my favorite question to ask people. What are you reading right now? What's, what's on top of your reading list? Well, I'll circle back to what we talked about originally. I think there are two books that are helpful for somebody who's kind of in a funk. Um, there's a book called uh, Mind Over Mood, and there's something called the CBT um, toolbox that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, if you're really in a funk and you want to do the work yourself, I don't necessarily advise it, but those will give you some tools to kind of break through and identify what's going on upstairs here and how do we get through that. So I'll, I'll talk about that from a practical standpoint. The book I'm reading right now is kind of an obscure one. It's called Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go. And uh, one of the most neglected things I see in entrepreneurial type businesses is that uh, everybody knows how important it is to develop, to, to create a development plan for the people on board, but nobody's ever got time to do it because we're too busy doing stuff. <laughs> Doing that stuff is not going to help us become a better company next year and the year after and beyond that. So uh, it's a nice little framework for creating a development plan for your team members without having the onus of the thing being on you as the owner or the manager. So it's a nice, it's a more collaborative viewpoint and it's a way to get them actively involved in their own development instead of you trying to decide what they need to be doing. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. So where can people find you if they want to uh, reach out and, and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, I'm kind of one of those weird being uh, you know, below the radar guys. Um, you can find me at robertmichon.com. 
that's uh, Robert, M-I-C-H-O-N.com. Whether or not I'll have a website up, who knows? I'm so busy, I just haven't gotten around to it. But if somebody wants to get to uh, me, you can send me a, a message. We'll, we'll call it, uh, you can send me an email. It's you know Steve at RobertMichon.com, so I'll know that they heard about me from you. But um, yeah, I, I love the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, for me personally, uh, helping a team become more effective and, and, and efficient and collaborative, it makes the business owner's life better. It makes the work more enjoyable for the team members, and it sure makes a hell of an impact on your customers because that 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 good or po- that positive or negative energy is going to flow right through to your customers. And so if you create a great environment from which you provide your services or your products, that's going to show up on the other end, and your people are going to be more loyal to you as a result of doing the work internally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed it. We'll talk soon, Robert. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes.